Podcaster, I hardly know her. <laughs> oh, hi. My name is Megan. I'm a busy mom of four young kids, a comedian, an improv trainer, and an award-winning author. This podcast is essentially the vessel I use to verbally process all types of topics and experiences. I love sharing stories, ideas, and considering new alternatives to things I have yet to learn and apply to my own life. All of this in effort to help create happier, healthier human connections through humor. Welcome to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. November is National Adoption Month, and I have really enjoyed the opportunity to connect with different people from the adoption community to get stories and perspectives and tools and ideas and just wonderful things around adoption. So even if you're not a direct connection to the adoption community, there's a good chance you probably know somebody who is. Um, and so the best thing we can do as community members is to continue to educate ourselves and open our perspectives about the different types of families, the different lifestyles, the different traumas that people might have endured or are currently experiencing. And so this has just been a really um, joyful experience for me. So as we bring this series to a close, I really had a great time um, connecting with Jeff Dodge and Mark McLaughlin, um, who are in Pennsylvania now, and they adopted two kiddos right here in Idaho through a New Beginning Adoption Agency. And this was just a really pleasant interview um, to hear about the advocacy and the options that are available for LGBTQ plus community to step into the adoption space and to bring the the inclusiveness and the diversity of how families can look different and really more and more families are different there's no normal that's a myth there's no right or wrong way to parent there's no um really no boundaries to what is possible and i really felt that in this interview so thank you for listening in. I hope you've enjoyed this series and I'm looking forward to having some additional adoption focused episodes down the road. Um, and one little side note, uh, there was kind of a funky audio sound um, coming through one of the computers. So bear with us on that little funny kind of buzzy thumping sound. And you probably heard the tinkling bells of my kittens as I am <laughs> recording this. I tried to come to my quiet little nook in my room and they followed me up here. So wishing you well wherever you are. And I just so appreciate you listening to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. So enjoy this LGBTQ plus adoption story. Mark and Jeff, I'm really excited to have you as a guest today on the podcast. I would love to just start off where maybe is a common place to start is telling us a little bit about yourselves and um, and what ultimately started leading you down the path of your adoption journey. Well, thank you first and foremost, Megan, for having us. We're really um, honored and excited to be able to talk about our adoption story and our experiences. Um, you know, adoption is something that's really become very close to us. 
um, you know, and our family. It's it's really our journey and something that is uh, always such a pleasure to share with others. So thank you for having us. Do you want to introduce yourself first? Uh, sure. Just to introduce both of us separately, I guess. My name is Mark McLaughlin. I grew up in Virginia. I met Jeff Dodge here um, in New York City. We lived there at the same time, and we met playing uh, on a gay softball league about 15 years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, since then, we've been all over the world. Um, most recently, we were in Idaho, and now we're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And my name's Jeff. Uh, Mark's already said how we met. And uh, I am a law professor and an associate dean at um, Penn State Dickinson Law here in Pennsylvania. Um, I actually teach family law, so adoption is a topic that uh, I formally am interested in as well as uh, personally affected by. Um, and yeah, we have two kids, um, a daughter, Osa, and she is six years old in first grade. And we have a son, Marley, and he is seven in second grade. And both of our adoptions um, were through a new beginning in Boise, Idaho, while we were living in Moscow, Idaho, and I was working at the University of Idaho. Great. So how long, like, how long had you had been together before you're like, ooh, what is family going to look like for us? How did that process kind of get rolling? I think that, um, uh, like I said, we've been together a little less than 15 years, but um, pretty much from the get-go. We both come from, from large families, large extended families. Family's always been important to us. And I think for most of our lives, we just assumed that because we were gay, that kids were probably out of the picture for us. And then until we started doing some research and finding out that, um, that we could make our dreams come true too by having our own family. Um, and that, that conversation happened pretty quickly after we got together. It's always been, it's always been something that we've talked about probably from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say when we got together, we both knew as sort of a value for our future, we wanted to have kids. Um, in fact, that's really why I left um, the employment that I had in the New York City area to take the job at the University of Idaho is that we knew we didn't wanna have kids or raise kids in the New York City area and um, you know, we had looked into opportunities and places, um, and we were also having to, at that point in particular, really look into the laws around where we could have a family, right? And what was available to us. And um, <laughs> our son just entered here. Um, and uh, you know, for us, interestingly, of all places, you know, when we looked into Idaho and I had the opportunity at the University of Idaho, we realized that it also would allow us the opportunity to, to build a family. So going there and having a quieter sort of life um, and also the opportunity and resources to build a family, you know, was part of the appeal, interestingly, of the state of Idaho. Um, you know, there weren't, there was some, you know, lack of clarity as to could we both be, you know, the adopted parents, the, the law was not overtly clear on that, but it was it was clear upon doing research is that judge or the judges, local judges had the authority to allow same-sex couples to be able to legally adopt. And so, um, you know, knowing that we, we moved to Idaho and about a year after we got there, we started the process with a new beginning. Um, and that's what led to today. Awesome. Well, and so, and you're in the legal field and yet there's probably a lot of research you needed to do. I, like, I don't know if there's, 
And when we do also have on uh, the episode today, we have Stephanie back. She was on an episode a couple of uh, a couple of episodes back, um, and she is the executive director of A New Beginning. So this might be a question that either or both of you guys can jump in on um, with like how that could be a stumbling block that people don't even know exactly how to overcome. How can people understand? where where they can go to have their dream come true? How does the law impact them? Um, how can people gain confidence in making the right steps and knowing where to look to find the tools they need to, to make this happen? Everyone deserves a Stephanie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I'll, I guess I'll start and then maybe Stephanie, you can pick it up from here. I'll say sort of broadly, Adoption law is governed at the state level, right? So you have to really know what the laws are of your individual state. In Idaho, like I said, it wasn't explicitly clear that same-sex couples could adopt, but it also wasn't explicitly clear that they couldn't. And so we had to collect more information to understand how that lack of clarity worked. There are states, jurisdictions, that prohibit same-sex couples from adopting, especially there are states that allow you know, through the foster care the discrimination of LGBTQ plus people from adopting through public agencies um, where private agencies might have the freedom to be able to do so or not. So you really have to kind of understand what your state's approach to adoption is first and foremost, and then be able to identify resources, you know, that can support whatever goal you may move forward with on the adoption front. And one amazing thing I know about a, a new beginning is that they'll work with you know, prospective uh, adoptive parents from outside the state of Idaho um, who are seeking infant adoptions or, you know, young or children you know, to adopt. Um, and I've referred people you know, from New York City to down south to, to explore a new beginning and explore the options that are available there. Uh, so sorry, Stephanie, I just thought I'd sort of give that legal context. No, that's that's great. And I and I think, you know, I've been doing adoption now for 20 years. It's crazy to me. Um, and there has been a shift, you know, and I think that sometimes in Idaho, even it depended what county, what judge <laughs> there, there were there were different interpretations. And so sometimes, you know, during my career, we've had to kind of get to know the judges and get to know kind of what counties we could work with it's it's much more open now um but i know that in some states like jeff was saying it's not it's, it, you still can't adopt as a couple but what we would do sometimes is is one person one of the couples one of the people in the couple would adopt because we just felt like there's still there had to be a way you know um for this to happen and um and so i'm glad now at least in idaho and i think many states i, I don't know I'm, I'm not up on all the states that 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 it is it is a, that, that that is able to happen but um i think there's quite a few now jeff you you probably know more than i do really um that that are open and that it, that you can adopt as a same-sex sex couple together yeah uh post obergefell the marriage equality case it really opened up you know, the fact that equal rights need to be given, especially to those that are married, that have that marriage distinction. Um, and that's significant because there are a significant portion of the LGBTQ plus community that understandably are still hesitant to engage in the institution of marriage. But the, the, the significance of the Obergefell case is that with that legal de designation of marriage, equal rights and how married couples 
need to be received under the law have been applied. That includes extensions into areas of adoption. Where the LGBTQ plus community struggles legally is those that choose not to get married, which is again, a very understandable choice and maintain either a formal or informal civil union of sorts or what used to be called common law marriage, like you've been together for a long time, you've done your time, so you should sort of have the recognition. That's where there's still some, some legal struggles in terms of both parents being able to be part of the legal adoption process. But Obergefell really you know, equalized, at least for those that are married, you know, the pathway on that front. Interesting. You know, it is kind of a interesting thing with the types of uh, things people have to, hoops people have to jump through, the kind of the different things. And yet, um, there's a, I don't understand why certain protocols, uh, whatever, the society that we live in has a whole lot of interesting uh, structural things where it seems like one one status is better than another like the whole fact of like how many married couples have we seen that actually have challenges with their own biological families and yet in the adoptive world there's all these training classes and all these different things that they have to do in order to prove their capacity or worthiness or whatever all these different things to be like now it's okay as long as you meet these 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 and these criteria when uh, you know a large portion of our society is just there's procreation happening willy-nilly with all sorts of things. And that was just a totally random tangent other than I'm just thinking, man, there's so many things that are just like, as long as there's love, there's people who are genuinely looking to have a, a family unit. Like I, I was excited to see that, um, like there was a questionnaire that um, uh, Tina had sent me saying whether or not singles or um, same-sex families or couples have more challenges in getting selected. And surprising to me to hear that it's actually not as much of a, a barrier anymore for people to be looking for what might be a quote unquote traditional family setup. Um, what, I guess, in the scope of what excites you about the adoption space now for, for same sex couples to be able to do this or for single people on their own for things that are not maybe quote unquote traditional, but really are actually a healthy, very like normal, um, loving way for children to be raised. Does that make sense what I'm kind of asking in there? Yeah, yeah. I think it, um, I'm most excited that, uh, that everyone of every different identity can be represented in this space. So maybe some, some of our trans and non-binary children who have struggled through, through so much already in their lives can, um, you know, can can be part of a family and maybe even a family that looks like them so they can see themselves in that family. That's really exciting. Um, I, I mean, I think that anytime, anytime a family unit is created is, is definitely something, is definitely a blessing. So um, the more, the more people that look, the more diverse people that are represented in that whole process is, is just something to be thrilled about. And I, I just want to add that I, we have to remember historically that the LGBTQ plus community, you know, hasn't had the greatest relationship with even the idea of family, let alone the idea of having children themselves. To have a legal recognition of your relationship has taken decades upon decades 
perhaps arguably centuries, right? To like reach to the point that our society is willing to even recognize the love that Mark and I have for each other as legitimate to those of opposite sex couples. I grew up in an environment having a gay uncle, frankly, who ended up dying of AIDS in the middle of the AIDS epidemic, you know, and, uh, you know, I grew up as a young gay person, never thinking that family would even be available to me. And frankly, never even thinking a relationship would be available to me because society, you know, during that period was highly critical of the LGBTQ plus community. It was being vilified, being, you know, more so because of the AIDS epidemic too. People were afraid of LGBTQ plus people as potential folks that infected others. You know, there was just a lot of fear and hysteria. And that was, you know, that was, that was a unique time, right? But that's left stigmas. That's left feelings about this community, but it's also left within the community, young people that grew up them, or even people that have grown up afterwards that have learned about that period, it's formed what they think is possible or not possible for their own lives, right? And so when, I, when you ask the question like, what's exciting? Well, I feel like we've had over the last 10 years, amazing breakthroughs in reshaping how the LGBTQ plus community even identifies with the idea of family or identifies with love and relationship recognition and then trickle out, you know, into the idea of having or being able to create their own family with kids. I did not think any of this was possible growing up. I was afraid to tell someone I was gay. And then, you know, frankly, when I told family members, they feared for my future. That's what it was. And that's what I internalized, you know, and I, I grew up a Mormon, you know, and, and in a very large family. So there was a lot of religious fear and, and a little bit of religious trauma that comes with that. And all of these experiences are not just unique to me. They're unique to so many people, you know, that are other, that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. So, you know, I feel like we're on a high in reshaping you know, how the LGBTQ plus community really can, can have family and be a part of a concept that is so foundational to our culture and to our country. I was gonna say for me, my quick answer was options. And, and, I, and I feel like options for birth parents to have a choice mm-hmm. of, of what type of family they want their child to be raised in. I think that's huge. Um, I think from the foster care perspective, kids have different needs. And if we're child-centered, we're looking for families that are gonna meet those child's needs. And I think the LGBTQ community is huge for, you know, for meeting the needs of kids. And um, so I'm I watching this growth over my career for over 20 years has been, um, I'm, I'm grateful, I really am. So let's talk a little bit about your adoption experiences. How were they similar? How are they different? They're kind of close in age. Like, was it kind of a whirlwind and suddenly boom, boom, you've got two kids. I would love to hear um, what the experience was for each of those adoptions and how, how, yeah, how did, how did it all feel and what was it all like? I like that Stephanie is blushing here. Whirlwind is the accurate description. Uh, the, whirlwind, the whirlwind is not over yet. Our yeah. kids are um, one year, one month, and one day apart. Um, it took about a year for our son to be placed with us. And that was a year you know, that's fraught with like, do they hate us because we're gay? Or are we just not getting any, anybody looking at our book or anything? Um, but as, as everyone at A New Beginning said over and over and over again, the right kid will find you. And it's totally true. 
Um, so we, you know, we got settled down after we had our son and then um, we started thinking of the idea of maybe, maybe our family, maybe a little girl would complete our family. I think we, we need a daughter as well. And since we weren't very particular the first time around and it, we just would take, you know, whatever, whatever child was placed with us that needed a home, um, we thought that, and it took about a year that time, we thought if we're going to be a little particular this year, let's plan for two years. So we are going to start this, uh, start this process to, um, to hopefully conclude sometime in the next two years. Um, and what was it? We, we didn't even have our paperwork done. We weren't even on the list. We had like decided to do it all very slowly. Yeah. So there was a nice gap between the kids. And it was like, I mean, like step two of seven in the process, no home study, no nothing. And uh, a, a new beginning started asking us, you know, not so coy questions like, could we show your book to a prospective birth mom? And we we're like, what? Oh, I mean, okay, sure. You know, well, we don't need the new book. Just, we'll just show the old book and our son's not even there. Yeah, our son doesn't even have pictures you know? yet. Then it was like, how quickly could you be ready to like, finish all the rest of the steps. And so literally like two months into us, like engaging in a second process that we wanted to take super slow and like know that because we wanted to be specific about the gender, it was gonna take longer, right? They were like, baby girl's born. They <laughs> loved your book. They selected you all. Can you come pick her up at the hospital? <laughs> Oh, and I had to my one-year-old into the car to drive down from Moscow at night. Yeah. And yeah, it was. Uh, I happened, happened to be in Boise for work when she came and joined our family. Like I literally was there for my work's like building opening reception. And uh, you know, a baby girl was born across town. Um, and so yeah, that's how we ended up with kids, you know, one year, one month, and one day apart. But what I love kind of about the story is that it really represents two extremes, maybe not extremes, but like you know, a sort of traditional, like you're going to have a weight like we did with our son. It was a full year fraught with anxiety, frustration, sometimes mm -hmm. anger, but then also needing to like do some internal reflection and like have some patience and faith. And then, you know, rapid fire, like minus, you know, five steps into the process. Bam, bam get your baby. Bam, come pick up this. <laughs> wow. Come pick up the baby, like bring the check and sign the papers. <laughs> Their 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 year wait was was waiting for two kids really I mean it was yeah. it was like you know that yeah. that process of waiting that first year was and then it was just in fast forward you know yeah. um, for your second but I I will never forget um, their interview for the first for for Marley I never like it, I, I I have many memories over my twenty years but that match meeting. It, is probably one of my favorites. I don't think it's your favorites. I think especially not Mark's favorite, maybe. But oh man, that was such a it was a, it made me chuckle a little bit that day. Yeah, that was that was I mean, so long story short, you know, when we were told we'd actually been selected after waiting for a year for another interview with a birth mom that was making uh, plans for adoption. And then we were told that she's decided to parent, which is amazing, but was heartbreaking for us because it was our first shot in a year on the wait list. Mm -hmm. And then like two weeks later, we had responded to the book and, you know, responded to the profile, heard nothing. You know, then we got a call that they'd like, there's a, a set of birth parents that would like to interview us and one other couple. 
and how quickly should we get to Boise, the boy, the little boy was born, right? But yes, we went to that interview and this one, just my husband is hilarious. Like he had literally planned questions on like how we're gonna get birth milk, or like the breast milk and like, you know, all like we had like the heavy hitting answers, right? But didn't you have like a letter from somebody that was like- yeah, that I'm was gonna, gonna provide breast milk. Breast milk, <laughs> you know. I forgot about that. We remember that. And we, we show up for this interview in the agency, like, to, you know, and we're prepared for like intense questions about religion and being gay and breast milk and all these things. And, you know, it ended up being like about dogs, you know, the controversial bike lanes in downtown oh, yeah. Boise. Remember that? Like they had put up bike lanes and it caused like hysteria for like a week and then they got rid of them. Anyway, so it was like super casual. And we were just like, it was like mind blowing after waiting for a full year, all this preparation, emotion, the breast milk letter. I was worried you know. that I needed to get like the breast milk letter notarized or something. Yeah. Like that's what level I was operating yeah. on. He was like clutching this envelope. Like I'm ready. ready to show it. Um, <laughs> but it ended up just being so conversational. And we were walking, we were walking out of the agency saying goodbye to them. And we weren't even in our car when they all came running out and they said, we selected you. And came running back in and cried and happy, signed everything, wrote the check, <laughs> then headed to the hospital <laughs> to oh, meet our son dear. straight away. And then I, you know, after we met him, we went to Babies R Us and basically, you know, scanned every single thing in that store. And I fainted, you know, on one of those rockers because we needed everything. We didn't have, even own a diaper and now we had a son. So wow. it was, it was quite a journey, both the first and second. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so now you're several years into it. What's home life life like with two youngsters that are probably, as you said earlier when we were just getting started here, they're very individual. They're very opinionated as young human beings, as really all children are. What um, what's the experience like in your household? How are you guiding your your parenting and rearing of these uh, wonderful little individuals? Will we allow jumping on furniture, obviously. Perfect. <laughs> Our son just came into view here on the camera. It's, I mean, it's, it's perfect and it's messy and it's painful, but awesome. It's, it's everything. It's, it's everything that I never thought that I could have. And mm. I have it now. It's, it's, it's a blessing. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, you know, a blessing. That's it. And we're not very religious. So that word has religious and non-religious connotations, right? And that it's just, it, it feels like, you know, this is all meant to be. It's challenged us in ways that like we wouldn't have been challenged if we didn't have kids. Um, and I, I'll say, you know, I've grown emotionally. I've grown maturity wise. Like I have just grown as a person knowing myself, my values, also, you know, grown through self-reflection about, you know, what I do and how, why I do it and how I do it as a parent, right? In ways, again, that, that just never would have happened if we didn't have kids. And um, they are, you know, the, the most special things in our life. And um, they are, they, they're amazing. They're just, I mean, it's, it's such an amazing gift in so many ways. Some days we hit it out of the park and some days we crash and burn and get up and try to do better the next day. Yeah. Such is the life of parenting. Yeah. Sure. yeah. 
Oh boy, can relate to that. Um, there's so many wonderful nuggets. And even though I'm only seeing you through a screen and hearing your voices for the first time, like there is really a, a wonderful thing of not really having things super scripted. Like as you were mentioning with your interview, so much, um, you can learn so much just listening to the things people want to share and the energy behind um, what motivates you in life and um, just feeling so much love and enthusiasm for the life experience um, that we all get to have. Like that just comes through like super clear um, just even having met you. What is something that you guys would love for people to know if they're in your position and they're feeling like they want a family and they're, they're, they're not sure it can happen for them. Like what is something that you would love for people to hear um, to kind of keep their eye on the prize, so to speak? You'll never be ready. There's never a perfect time for it. You're, um, you're not gonna be perfect for it. You can't over-educate yourself about it. There's, um, I think there's just something intangible about parenthood that you'll never learn from a book or from anybody else. All those resources are great. You should avail yourself of all resources all the time, but um, there's, there's no right way to parent or, or raise a family. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's made me very humble. I, I, I don't, I, I'm never judgmental about decisions that other parents make anymore because yeah, it's, I don't know what sort of trenches you're coming out of that day. Like you, you got this. Yeah. Yeah, and and I would say you know especially for folks in the LGBTQ plus community um, that may be out there listening, you know if it's something that you have dreamt of, um, I say go for it. You know, make the call, go to an info session, ask some questions. You know, the journey of exploring adoption as an option is one that you can learn and grow from, even if you decide to not move forward with it. To know the available options the cost, the logistics, the process starts to demystify what could seem like a very intimidating you know, process that, that is beyond you, right? And it's not, it's really not at all. In fact, you know, once we collected information and spent that time understanding what we could be going through, you know, we got it and we knew where we could excel. We knew where we could, you know, what we could accentuate about ourselves and and how we could bring that forward in terms of what our parenting, you know, styles could be or approaches, you know, there, there was just such amazing growth that comes with just sort of going through the process and exploring it. Um, you know, I'll never forget, you know, some of the trainings that you're required to, to go through, you know, allowed us to have, you know, very in, uh, intense conversations that frankly, those that, you know, do it the old school way, probably haven't had to have, right? Like we had to have conversations about how we would approach parenting challenges, how, what our religious goals were, what our educational goals were, but also, you know, even more complicated questions about transracial adoption, children with special needs. Like we had to really be reflective in a way that, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks that don't go through this process aren't required to yeah. do. And in that way, you know, even though it was, as we've jokingly shared, like our stories were wild and quick and, you know, we felt at least prepared because we had communicated very deeply and thoughtfully about some of the, some of the challenges ahead in, in our parenting journey. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is something that, like, it continues to just 
blow my mind the level of commitment that it shows when people are embarking as a potential adoptive family or a single person trying to do it because there are so many things it's like oh well, I never thought about that and how many parents exist that like didn't have to go through those protocols that maybe weren't given you know I feel like I'm playing catch up a little bit myself a lot from having been around the adoption community and being like you know what I want to up my game as a parent too so I'm like finding different books and different resources to try to continue to educate myself so that I can get the best possible edge on helping these young humans grow up to be the individuals they want to be um, with all those other things that society wants to say this is the better way or if it's this religious thing or that or whatever and um, and so many things when really we're at, we're at a place where any anything is possible everybody can do what they what they you know ultimately they can strive for what they want to have happen in their lives and and hearing your journey and knowing lots of other adoptive couples who had different waiting periods and some have been long and painful and and they take it personally if they aren't chosen by birth mothers I get that question a lot from people that are like wanting some peace of mind from a birth mother's perspective I'm like you have to just trust the process because then also I was the type that hid the pregnancy and was suddenly picking from a big mm -hmm. stack of Mormon only because I also grew up Mormon here in Idaho mm -hmm. of these scrapbook pages and and to pick from I don't know 40 families that were suddenly on my lap when I had a baby in the other arm and and so just knowing that all of us are having these different experiences and and when it does finally come together it's so wonderful to hear how perfect it was hearing your story and your preparation and your desire to have the family unit and then yeah like even though it was kind of whirlwindy it was still perfect like it sounds to me like oh my gosh could that have been more perfect the way it was just a boom boom uh family of four situation um i always get a little tangenty because i'm like feeling all the feelings and saying all the things but kind of as we bring this to a close like what are what are some nuggets that you just would love to share about life? I mean, it could be about adoption stuff. It could just be things that you you have a moment to share from your own heart. What what uh, what types of nuggets are on your mind? You know, one thing I think for the LGBTQ plus community, those that are listening, you know, I I would encourage folks to to think and do some research about options and family planning um, beyond the idea that the biology alone matters. And, you know, I have, and, and again, everyone's gonna find their own path. So perhaps surrogacy is the right option and choice for your family development. But I've talked to folks who feel, you know, really committed to the idea that you have to be biologically connected you know, that somehow that makes a difference, that that's so significant or important. And for some folks as a value, that is, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll never forget, I think it was your mom, right? And, and she, when she met the kids for the first time and she admitted to us and was very vulnerable, like she wasn't sure how she was gonna feel without that sort of biological connection. Rest mm -hmm. assured, these kids <laughs> are like extremely spoiled and loved and <laughs> overwhelmed with material goods all the time as a result of this mother, grandmother's love. So there is no difference, but even for us, you know, I mean, it, it never really crossed my mind. I don't think it was like of high value, but I think for a little bit, you were kind of thinking maybe the biology is 
important yeah. for us as we started the process. And, you know, the more we learned, the more we thought, the more we reflected, you know, there were, there, there are kids who need families, there are families who want kids, and what an amazing gift, you know, for the, the those parents or parents, you know, to be able to create a home and create a family, you know, through, through the amazing experience of adoption. And, um, you know, the biology has played no role in our love or the lack of biological connection, no role in the love or lack of love or connection that we feel to each other. And we have been very open in, in discussing how our family was formed. You know, there's naturally going to be questions, right? Because there's no mom and dad. So it wasn't, you know, the, the way the other kids in class have formed their family. But it's been amazing to, to create our own story through this experience. And, you know, I just, I, 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 I know folks can really feel like the biology is important, but I just want to encourage people to to think beyond that too, like think of all the options. I think, you know, like what Jeff said about just education and, and you know, and, and looking at options, looking at the laws, don't be afraid to to seek information and to ask questions, you know, and I, I think, um, you know, talking to agencies, talking to attorneys, um, there's lots of different options out there for adoption and there's lots of different paths, you know, and I think, um, Foster care, infant adoption, international is sort of a different different story because every country has its own laws, um, you know, and so that that can be challenging. But for foster adoption and infant, there's just there are there are ways to build a family um, for the LGBTQ plus community. And I just think just reach out, get over your fears, and just you know talk to people and ask questions um, because it is an option. And, 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 and you are needed. Families are needed, you know, and kids need families and they need options. So um, I guess that would be the main thing I would want to get across. Yeah. yeah. And rest assured, I'll share one other kind of nugget. I mean, there is community out there. There are people that have, um, have built families in the LGBTQ plus community. You know, maybe they're, they might even be in your small or large city, right? Um, you know, we're in sort of a small area, small town and in central PA, you know, um, we were in a small town in Idaho, you know, there were other families, there are other families. So if people are interested, connect with them, reach out. I, I can almost assure you that they would welcome an opportunity to talk about how their family was developed, share resources. There are also, you know, lots of Facebook groups and other ways that you can reach out to people that are, have gone through these experiences or going through them for support or for answering questions. And then of course the agencies you know, like a new beginning who is fabulous, you know, can can help with so many resources and support um, as you're exploring this. So, um, you know, it's it has been such a, a gift for us. You know, I, I will say, you know, uh, being an LGBTQ plus family does make you obvious in a community. So that's something that one should also think about, right? Like we go to a festival downtown, there's two kids screaming daddy and papa back and forth at us. Like, we are seen and known. We don't just walk around looking like brothers or people assume we're not gay or are gay. Like it really kind of outs you too in a way that is worth really thinking about um, as you build your family. It shouldn't be discouraging, but it's something that you need to think about and be prepared for that might be different than an opposite sex couple or a single person going through, you know, the, the adoption process. So that's something, you know, I'm glad the process and now sort of our lives have allowed us to experience and then be able to 
you know, make something that's positive in terms of what we represent to other people. I love that. And that is really, that's a really great thing to just bring it home on is that's an awesome opportunity, maybe a big ask for some people unless they're really ready for it. Uh, but for that curiosity, for people who do want to ask questions, there are still people, especially like what we could learn from little children is they usually ask because they're curious. They see something that they're like, oh, that looks different than something I've seen before. And they genuinely want to know more, not from a place of like, you know, a negative thing. And I think that that is a really powerful uh, reminder um, for that to be an empowering thing to really be like setting a new standard of like, it's okay. This is totally um, a welcomed way to have a family and let's educate the community more and just break down some of those things that kind of can make, a, make it uncomfortable to have the conversations really on both sides, but to just be a champion for welcoming the conversations and the information so everyone can be more collaborative as a community. You are, you are sort of put in the place to be the ambassador for LGBTQIA plus adoptions, but, um, but it, that's, and that's never a role that I would have sought out, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I look at it on as, as a service that I'm doing to other people who might be interested and to, and to just help normalize our family. We're just like everybody else, you know? Yeah, bigger picture, we are helping redefine what families look like now and into the future. And um, what they look like is more inclusive. Absolutely, I love that. This was a really uh, a great experience to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for taking your time to share about your family and your experience. It was such a pleasure to have you on this episode. Um, and thank you, Stephanie, for joining in to uh, be a connector for those resources and tools. It's accessible for those who are ready to take the journey and you have the support needed. So uh, to any of you out there listening, if you have questions about anything in the adoption scope, either particularly on this episode, please feel free to message me. If you're listening on Anchor, you can send me a voice message directly through the app, or you can email me at meetmeganmccaleb at gmail.com for any of your questions to follow up on any episodes. And I would love to uh, find follow-up information from any of my guests. And thank you for listening. Thank you again, Mark and Jeff and Steph. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. If you'd like to stay connected to me in other ways, you can find me on most social media platforms at Megan or at my website, meganmccaleb.com. And remember, you don't have to be a big deal to do big things.